0: Before we look at the scriptures this morning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit It's our privilege to be in this school Where the children finished their school year This last Wednesday So we, we pray for the summer transitions That are coming in this life of a school uh, New hires, people moving on Rooms getting switched around Things getting cleaned and prepped for the fall uh, Leadership transitions that are taking place God, we continue to pray As we enter our 10th school year At Sheridan School That you would bring your blessing and your shalom to this school and that you'd continue to show mill city church what it's like to be a neighbor to this school that uh, offers us hospitality every single week and we're grateful to be here and be in your presence and know that you are here each and every day looking over these kids and these teachers and these administrators and that we have a role to play in that we're grateful god and we pray your blessing over it in jesus name we pray amen well stephanie started us last week on a new conversation that we're calling the Art of Neighboring, which is, has a book by the same name. And if you haven't read the book, recommend you get a copy. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent book. The book is centered on the great commandment, which Jesus says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, G, and Stephanie post, posed this question last week where she said, what if Jesus meant that we were supposed to actually love our actual neighbors? What if it wasn't just a metaphor for loving people generally? What if he meant you're supposed to love the people who live near you? The people you work with, the people you play soccer with, the people you are friends with, the people who live next door. And I love that Steph said there's a spectrum between the people you can't wait to hang out with and the people you can't stand because they're everywhere, right? And so what if Jesus meant that we're supposed to love our actual neighbors? That's really what we're focused on Over this next period of time and we come back to this topic over and over again at mill city because it's essential to our mission as a church which is to love our community in the name of jesus we have to continue to improve our ability as a church to be good neighbors and to love our neighbors in the name of jesus so we return to this topic at least once a year in our sermon series to remind us this is a key way that we live out our mission we defined neighbor last sunday as Uh, anybody you're spending most of your time around. So that could be uh, people people that you know from where you live, where you work, where you learn if you're in school, or where you just spend your free time, where you recreate. So think of those people. Keep people in mind, not neighbors in general, but specific people. Call up a neighbor. Call up a neighbor in your mind right now. One you like. I'll give you a second. You got it? And one you don't like. Have you got the neighbor you don't like? Nobody nods their head on that one. Come on, I know there are neighbors you don't like. Think of the neighbor you like and the neighbor you don't like. Um, What is something, I gave you this community time question today because I'm really interested. What's something that you have to do in your neighborhood or your neighbors are gonna be really mad at you? Or conversely, what's something you need to make sure you don't do to keep your neighbors happy? What, what What were those conversations like? Somebody shout out something they heard. Mow your lawn, right, yeah. Be quiet, quiet. stop making so much noise, okay. Keep up after your dog, yeah, pick up after your dog, key. What else? Park, so just don't drive around continuously, but actually park so that people aren't, (laughs) that's good advice. What else? So we got dog, parking, lawn, and noise, what? Slow down. Don't drive so fast. There's kids around. Put the little green signs out. Yeah. Okay. What was that? Shovel your snow. Right. In Minneapolis especially. Minneapolis will find you if you haven't shoveled your snow in enough time. Or if you live in Minneapolis, you recently got a letter from the city that said, <laughs> with pictures, if your lawn looks like this, if your house looks like this, we are coming to your house. We are going to come and visit you and cautiously help you to fix it up because it looks terrible. And they put pictures of what terrible houses and lawns look like in case you're unsure of what that might be. So there's lots of things that we have to do to live in a neighborhood you named Yard Maintenance. I was thinking all the way back to being a student. I had a friend named Steve that I lived with in college, and he was so annoyed with me because I was on the top bunk and the alarm would go off and I'd hit the snooze button, and then it would go like 15 minutes. And then it would go off again, and probably like three or four times, and he would just say, how about you just set it for the time that you're going to get up so I don't have to listen to your alarm clock for a full hour? That would be being a good roommate or a good neighbor. So we could probably think of a lot of different examples of what it's like to be a good neighbor. Now, in many places, though, that where we live, doesn't it seem like these requirements are very minimal? Like, just think of that list for a second. So, like, don't let your dog poop in someone's yard. Don't make too much noise. Make sure you cut your grass. This isn't like world peace level relational interactions. This is just keep your annoyance level to the minimum, right? And I think that actually says something about what we think of when we're thinking about neighboring. Like neighboring in America most of the time means don't drive the people next to you crazy. It doesn't mean you have to be wholesale focused on loving and sacrificing your life for the people you live around. fact that would be kind of creepy right if that was your perspective on neighboring but when Jesus says this is the most these are the most important things to focus your life on love God with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself doesn't it feel like that's a little bit higher than don't annoy people right that's obvious so when Jesus when people ask Jesus what's the most important commandment just for a refresher in case you don't know this Here's how he responds in Matthew chapter 22. He says, Hearing that that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, a different religious group, got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, it's not often that you can get a straight answer from Jesus. Most of the time when people try to pin him down, he responds with a question, or he redirects, or he tells some kind of story. But this time, he answers pretty directly. What's the most important commandment? Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. If you do this, he says in different versions of that same text, you will be close, you will be entering the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to make loving your neighbor an essential part of your life? What does it look like to make loving your neighbor an essential part of your life? What does it look like to become good at the art of neighboring? I want to invite my friends, Michelle and Rollin, to come up And they both had birthdays this last week, so I want you to give them a round of applause as they're on their way up here today. Michelle and Roland are going to share a little bit about how they've lived in their own neighborhood and some of the things that they've seen happen. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming up here and talking to us this morning. It's not always easy to talk in front of people, although I I have a feeling Michelle's not worried about it. Do you get that sense? Okay, so um, tell... You, I get nervous. Are you you nervous? A little nervous. These are very, look at how friendly they are. Look at them all. say
1: all this stuff in this much time and not take over the sermon?
0: I don't know. That's what we're all nervous about (laughs) right now.
1: I'll
0: I'll just take the mic. Roland will cut you off. Yeah. So just make sure you hold your mic close to your mouth so that you're, so we can hear you. Okay. So tell us about when you moved into your neighborhood three and a half, four years ago, how did you start to get to know your neighbor?
2: We started going to the association meeting. We live in the town hall Okay. So we went to, I don't know, four, three or four meetings.
0: So the people were already getting together to talk about what's no. happening in the association. No, no, nobody, nobody went. went to the meeting. We were the but only. But com- existed.
2: We were maybe <laughs> two of four that were there. So you doubled the number of people attending yeah. the meetings. Yeah. Okay. And good. And then and then they talked about the national night out. Yeah. And they were gonna mail these flyers out, and we said, no, we'll go around, and... and deliver them. them. Oh, cool. And deliver them, okay. and that way we met most of our neighbors, but not everybody.
1: But the interesting thing is we actually moved in in November, the coldest November four years ago, and you kind of think, people are gonna come and say hi and bring you a pie or something, no. and nobody did anything. And nobody greeted you. No, in a town home, people push the button for their garage, and they go in and you never see them again. That's it, yeah. So Which we, is weird
0: because the homes are physically connected to each other. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, one of the other things that Roland didn't say is that we started church here three years ago, okay. and there was a session on neighboring, and you passed out plastic sporks. Did Anybody else get those? And you know, they,
0: plastic sporks that you all like, use on forks. a regular basis. Yeah.
1: And And you said, Go to your neighbors and invite yourself over for a meal, and we didn't feel comfortable doing that.
0: <laughs> and and neither did anyone else. <laughs>
1: yeah. But we do listen when you preach, and so. Um,
0: Sounds and like it. So
1: we made a dessert, and we went to our neighbors that live right next door, and we had kind of met them before, but it started a wonderful relationship. Mm. So we.
2: If you bring dessert over, they'll make food ahead of time too. <laughs>
0: The neighbors made food to go with the dessert. Good strategy. So then, what? since you started getting to know these people in a couple of these ways, what are some of the things that you've been practicing to kind of develop relationships in the neighborhood?
1: Well, first of all, we walk our dog, and then you meet a lot of neighbors that way. And there are 60-some townhomes where we live. Um, I met a lady who was working in her garage, and she invited me to something, and we met some other people and we said, wouldn't it be cool if our neighbors would get together? So we didn't do this ourselves. Mm. You, don't, you don't change a neighborhood by yourself. We, um, I call it Papa Joy Me Sue Bet. It's Paula, Pat, Joy Sue, Michelle and um, Betsy that plan things, so. Could you
0: say that again, one more time?
1: Papa Joy Me Sue Bet. Can you repeat that real quick? <laughs> Papa, Papa Joy, Joy Me Sue Bet. So lots of times Roland and I get credit for things. We were the new people. You were going to say something about that.
2: Being being new in a neighborhood, you feel like you're the outside person, you're like you don't fit in or you're coming into a, a clique that's already existing and yeah. we found that that gave us the advantage in our neighborhood because you had an excuse to be introduced. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which isn't creepy because yeah. you're new. Yeah. Yeah, good.
1: And people that had been there 25 years didn't know each other. And people that lived a couple houses down hadn't known each other for seven years. And it gets hard to say. And in church, this is the same thing. It gets hard to say, hi, have I seen you here before? Are you new or what? And um, I didn't mean, or what? But anyway, are you new? (laughs) So so you got to come and just pretend like you belong here and start meeting people. Because I met three new people today who didn't know each other, but they were all new. And they might have expected that someone else was going to introduce them.
0: Yeah. Anyway. That's great. Could you could go on. Here, you hold this. And so oh. uh, Yeah. So tell tell them the story about how you started giving people hot dogs on Halloween. I really love that story. Can you tell them that, Ralph? So
2: we found out that on Halloween at Sonic they have fifty cent uh, corn dogs. Sonic and is a foodie S- joint in Columbia Heights, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's about a block and a half, and we like corn dogs. And so we decided that we would have our neighbors over for corn dogs. And we went to Sonic, and for 20 bucks. You can get we, 40 dogs. We for can get 40 bucks. dogs. And we had a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So you just don't throw a party, you invite everybody to bring something.
0: Yeah, so that's important. So everybody contributed. It wasn't just you all providing everything oh, for yeah. everyone else.
1: And then the next year they said, well, you're going to have your corndog party, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, the a annual Sonic time. corndog party. So on Halloween night, if you don't have something to do, come to our house, but you've got to bring something. And you don't have to wear a costume, but we really have a lot of fun with church people and neighbors and family.
0: That's amazing, Yeah. So now, in this last season of your life, you have gone through uh, some stuff that's caused you to kind of need to be on the receiving end. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, we've kind of gotten people connected and, and
0: clean. You've not kind of gotten, you've gotten a lot of, Michelle's, how many people have met Michelle? Yeah, look at that. Everyone in this church has met Michelle. Yeah. So when she says we kind of got people connected, it means probably most of those sixty households now have met each other. Yeah? Yeah they have. Okay.
1: But it's not just me. But it's not just me, it's Papa Joy Me Subet and Rollin. And so it's it's a lot of people together. Right. We we have helped clean houses and take meals to people's houses and, and that sort of thing when there are emergencies. And when Rollin's son had cancer, people participated in the benefit. And when Roland's son died, people came to the funeral and brought food to us, and people from church did that too. And then, um, let's see, in February I fell and I smashed my humerus. And what I like to say is it's not humorous, it's really painful. Mm. And so I wasn't in church for a while, so Roland, you've gotta say what you did.
2: Well, I I said that when when people wanted to offer food, we're not gonna turn anybody down. And it's, you know, why, why would you turn down free food anyway?
0: But you kind of want to turn it down, though, don't you? You, you kind of want to turn the, it down because it, it doesn't feel we great. We talked
2: about that. We were like, no, we don't. And I said, no, we. They want to bless us, and why take that away? Right, right. So you, you decided hurts to accept. If them anybody
1: all. wants to bring food over, <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's gotten used to the receiving. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, yeah. So what happened then when you, when you decided that?
2: We had more food than we could. Yeah, neighbors and people from church and brought food, brought food and refrigerated, and Mm.
0: we still might have some. No, we don't. That's amazing. So I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but you can maybe ad lib it. Why did you decide to put so much energy into this? Why didn't you just move into your townhome and decide to push the button and have it go up and down like everybody else? We love
1: people. And, um, and we, we do believe it's more blessed to give than receive, and you keep trying to give and you keep getting back. <laughs> but every stranger in our neighborhood was an opportunity to learn and care about somebody. By the way, we found out there are many believers in our neighborhood. And, and then other people I'm not sure of. We love them all, and, and you know, they really love us. So we, um, we just yesterday had a coffee in the circle, That's where we don't have a place to meet so we have coffee out by the mailboxes where people go to get their mail and they have to visit with you. You've got to be strategic. And the police come because we really, we want them to know where we live and we appreciate that they keep us safe so we always invite the police to anything that are going on outside and we say thank you and you know when we hear sirens in our neighborhood we pray for the police Mm. in our Columbia Heights area so Mm. um, I I do it cuz I love people what about you well
2: it's kind of fun to uh, watch people connect with each other that have in our old neighborhood we had people that lived on both ends of the block for 50 years and they had never met until they came to donuts and coffee at our place
0: Mm. hey well we just want to say as a church thank you Thank you for connecting all the people who just raised their hand, and thank you for investing your life in strangers that you didn't know in your neighborhood, and for being willing to share your story with, with us this morning. It's really meaningful. Thank you. Would you give them a round of applause, please? Thanks, you guys. I think it's just amazing when people decide that their priority is going to be we're going to engage with these folks and we don't really know how it's going to work out but we'll buy some sonic hot dogs and see what happens and then god does these amazing things no real other agenda you don't hear any other agenda other than we feel like loving our neighbors is something jesus wants us to do and we're going to try what we know to do it and then god writes these amazing stories that we get to be part of i'm so proud of michelle and Roland, and so many other people at mill city have stories just like that because you all have been doing this and practicing at it we're not starting from zero in this church at loving our neighbors and it's really exciting to see what God's doing through it in the last few minutes I have I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus puts this commandment into practice how does Jesus love uh, his neighbors as himself and I want to suggest to you that one of the things that Jesus does is he he sees it as essential or mandatory for him to find strangers and make them his friends. That part of what he was doing was he knew it wasn't enough to stay in the circle of people that he was naturally born into. He had to leave that and go and find strangers and make them into friends. And he's consistently doing that. So let me point you to a story that we'll spend just a few minutes with this morning in Luke chapter 5. It's a very short passage of Jesus going to find this guy named Levi and inviting him to be one of his disciples. Let me read it for you. It says, uh, After this, right after Jesus had healed a man who was paralyzed, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, to the Pharisees' sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is just a little story here as Luke is telling us about how Jesus built his team, his disciple team. And he goes and calls this man named Levi. Levi's a tax collector. And if you don't know what that is, it mostly means that he's a social outcast. He's someone who is Jewish, who has decided to collect the taxes Jewish people owe to the government. And most of the time, the tax collectors add a little bit on in order to make their own money. Some of them add a lot on. And therefore they were hated by their own people. So I was trying to think of a common, a person that we might think of in this way, and I'm sure I'm gonna offend somebody at this, but I wanted to do a 21st century example. I think it's kind of like being a dishonest politician in the 21st century, where your job is to represent a group of people, and you get paid to represent those people, but you see them mostly as a platform for your own gain, whether that's monetary gain or power gain. There's some amazing politicians and there's some not so great politicians. I think it would be like being a 21st century dishonest politician who's using the people that you represent that you have power over for your own gain. So Jesus invites this dishonest politician to be one of his 12 followers, sort of the inner circle people. And Levi doesn't you know, sign up online or text or whatever. he. Jesus has to go find him at his booth, at his place of business, where he's ripping people off. That's where Jesus goes to find him and say, get up from the booth. We have work to do. Let's go. And Levi gets up. So one thing I just love about Jesus, if anybody ever asks you if you love Jesus or what it is you love about Jesus, I have kind of a list in my head that I keep of different things I love about Jesus. One of them is that the guy always goes and finds these people who everyone else has put on the outside and invites them back in. Isn't that amazing? He goes out and finds this guy who's clearly living poorly and ripping people off and says, this is not for you. Come with me. I will teach you a different way to live your life. And Levi gets up. He understands the invitation. He gets up. Now, Jesus, after seeking Levi out, Uh, is starting to teach him, how is it that you live differently? How is it that you change your priorities from monetary gain from yourself to a life focused on giving yourself to other people? I started. I was reading this last week about a a writer who is having trouble getting his writing going, and so he did a time study. I can't remember if it was a week long or a month long, but he tracked his time in 15-minute increments. Has anybody ever done like a time audit of your life? Everyone's like, that sounds really exciting. No. He tracked his time for some period every 15 minutes to see, where where is my time going? And it came back that he was only spending 12 or 15 hours a week on the writing that he was trying to do, and enormous amounts of time on other things like surfing the web and watching TV and other distraction kinds of things. And he said he would have described himself as somebody who didn't watch that much TV and then found out after the time audit he was watching like two to three hours a day, pieced together. And so in the article he was saying, I've asked some other people about this and what I found out just anecdotally is lots of people say, when they think about it, that the things that are the most important to them in their life they're actually spending the least amount of time on. So I just want to put this in front of you today to say if you were going to do just a even an overview if someone watched your your week this coming week and what you spend your time on what would they say is most important for you what's most essential what's your top priority would they watch your week and say clearly this person's top priority is their family or their friends would they say clearly this person's top priority is cooking hobbies work would they say, clearly this person's top priority is Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, arguing with people online? What would they say? What would they say? What would be an honest audit of your time? When Jesus meets Levi, he's, he's saying to them, stop spending your time collecting these taxes from people. Come and follow me. I'm going to teach you a different way to live your life. So because of Jesus' focus on building relationship with Levi, Levi then throws him a party. He throws them a party. And you have to understand a little bit about these parties in order to really get what this text is teaching us. So throwing this party in the first century would have had a couple different parts. One was, there's always a host and there's always a guest of honor. And then the party always had a structure. So very likely this party had at least three parts. So Jesus is the guest of honor. Levi's the host. They have a whole bunch of Levi's buddies who come to the party. And the party would have been structured like this. You have to identify all the guests who are present. Let everybody know who everybody else is. And then there's a period of time in the party where you're eating, where the primary goal of eating together is to build up enough friendship. Uh, One scholar that I read said it is the period of time where you're building friend relationship to lower division. And then everybody knows in the party that after you've had friendship time for a while, you then are going to discuss something important, something that matters to everyone, and everyone at the party is going to help determine what the topic is. Can you imagine going to a party like that? Everybody's ID'd, there's a host, there's a guest of honor. You have like an hour or two to eat and get to know everybody and build friendships so that you don't yell at each other when you start to talk about things that you all decide really matters. I desperately want some people to try this out. Let invite some people to a party. Say it's going to have three parts. We're going to introduce you to everybody at the party. We're going to have friendship time, and then we're all going to discuss something important. If you're willing to do that, come talk to me afterwards. I want—I really want us to try that. So Jesus is—that's the party that Levi throws for Jesus, and the Pharisees and the teacher of the law are breaking the customs at the party because they're in friendship time. And they're trying to determine what the conversation's going to be about later when they say, why, does, why do you and Jesus eat with these people? So they want the discourse to be about why Jesus is at the party at all. Why is he the guest of honor? And it's terribly rude for them to be trying to shape the party in that direction. So they say, why would Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Now, we've already talked about tax collectors. You have to hear the word sinners as anybody who's unclean in the eyes of Jewish religious leaders. So anybody who's on the outside of the Jewish community because they're unclean. They might be unclean because they ate the wrong thing, because they acted immorally. There's a whole number of reasons why. But they're on the outside and you should have nothing to do with them. So they're asking the question, why does Jesus eat with people who are ripping off their own folks and people who we know are on the outside and ought to remain on the outside? because of their lifestyle or what they believe or whatever. And Jesus' response here is to say, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I need you to put your thinking caps on for one second here, because this is, you could easily miss this in this text, and it's really important. Jesus is not agreeing to the categories that are being used in the question. He, when, him, when he's asked, when his disciples are asked, why do they eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who are they referring to? The people at the party, right? Why are you eating with Levi and his friends? And when Jesus comes back to answer the question, he's, I guarantee you, he's not thinking of Levi and the friends as the sinners. Because Levi has already repented, right? He's turned around, accepted Jesus' invitation, accepted what Jesus has to offer to him. In Jesus' mind and heart, Levi is the righteous person in the story. And the people who are excluding these other folks are not are the unrighteous people. But if you're asking the question and you're a religious leader, you're thinking of yourself as the righteous person, and you hear Jesus say, I didn't come for these folks, I came for the sinners. And then you're confused because you go, well, you're here for for them. Why? I still don't understand. And what Jesus is trying to say here is, I have come to find the people, whether they're Jewish folks or, or not Jewish folks, Gentiles, who are willing to turn around, repent of their sin, and receive what I have to offer them and enter the kingdom of God. And I really don't care where they come from or what they've done. That's what's so radical about Jesus' presence and Jesus' ministry. Repentance is the only requirement for entry into the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter if Levi ripped all these people off because he has turned away from that now. So I was trying to think of a parallel for parties that we might be at or people that we might be interacting with. Saying you're not gonna eat with the people on the outside is kind of like saying, why would anyone ever eat with somebody who's not a Christian? Why would anyone ever eat with someone who's not in their church? Why would anyone ever eat with somebody who thinks differently than them or acts differently than them or lives differently than them? That's what they're inquiring about. Why don't we all just huddle up and reinforce each other and protect what we believe and what we think? And Jesus' response to that is, because that's not why we're here. So the, the art of neighboring, what Jesus is trying to teach us here is, that you have to, it has to be essential for people who are Christians to love strangers until they become friends. It can't be an optional thing that we sort of sometimes do. It can't even be a missional community's job or somebody in the church's job. It has to be everyone's job to love their neighbor as themselves and to see those neighbors as people who might, might be on the outside, right? Jesus is being critiqued, saying, why don't you just talk to the insiders? And he goes, because that's missing the whole point. That's missing the whole point. The point is to go and find people who are open to what God has for them and to love them. Let me invite the band to come back up because I'm almost done. I want to finish with this quote from the book, Art of Neighboring. In the book, they say, throw the mic on the ground. They say, The great commandment is a matter of obedience to those who know and follow Jesus. We don't love our neighbors so they will know Jesus. We love our neighbors because we already love Jesus and trust him. Most of what you're going to encounter if you start to love your neighbors is people are so skeptical of church folks they're especially skeptical of pastors, and they have some good reasons to be skeptical. And if they think your motive is just to at some point bait and switch them and get them to accept something, they're gonna run the other direction, right? Anybody else experience this? But there's a difference between having some kind of ulterior motive, that you're just waiting for the right time to spring on people, and doing what Michelle and Rollin are doing, which is just to say, I'm going to live out. I have an ultimate goal of loving my neighbor because that's what Jesus taught me to do. And some of those neighbors will discover who God is because of the way I've loved them, and some won't, and that doesn't really matter because it's not up to me. I love all the neighbors I have equally, the annoying ones and the friendly ones, because that's what Jesus told me to do. It's not called the great suggestion. It's called the great commandment. And I have seen this over and over again, and you have too, in this church. We have not gone out and tried to tell everyone where they're wrong. We have gone out and tried to prove to people who think churches are worthless, that church can be a loving group of people in a community. And when you prove that to people, you have different relational credibility in their lives that you never had before, and now you're in a whole different conversation. And they are gonna know why you're doing what you're doing. We heard at a recent member meeting a gal say, I was serving in this um, retirement facility, and all of a sudden Mill City people started showing up for no pay, for no reason, other than they found out there was a need for people to come and lead worship services for the people who lived there, and that's what brought me to this church. The world is desperate for people with credibility and integrity who are going to do what they do regardless of results and do what God called them to do regardless of results, and that's what this church is about. And the more we do it, the more we see God is bringing more people into God's kingdom through our work. And there's nothing wrong with telling them that you love Jesus and that's why you're doing it. But we're not going to bait and switch anybody. We're going to say we'll be here as long as we can, as long as God calls us to be, loving our neighbors in the name of Jesus because that's what Jesus told us was our top priority. And if you look at any one of our weeks, you will see in our schedules, in our priorities, in the way we spend our time and our money, why our neighbors Our priorities in our lives. That's where we're going. And we're all on a journey. And we're inspired by stories like yours. So thank you for sharing this morning. Let me pray. And we're going to take communion this morning. Communion is a symbol for us of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That Jesus loved each of us as neighbors, even though some of us wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And has done for us, before we even knew what we needed, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. By dying on the cross, offering us forgiveness of sins, and a new life in the kingdom, and a new purpose with God's mission. So if you're a Christian person, you don't have to be part of our church. If you're a follower of Jesus, who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome at our table. Um, We take this bread, which is gluten-free, and we dip it in the juice, and then there should be people on the sides who are going to pray for you. Prayer team people, this is your warning. They'll be on the sides, and they would love to just have a moment to say, what can I pray for you? Um, as you walk back to your seat. So let me pray and, and bless the communion. Father, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for the stories in this church. We're so grateful that you've called us to this mission to love our community in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Roland and Michelle. You pray a blessing over them today and their work in their neighborhood. God, we pray that nobody would see any, any of us in this church as people who are trying to pull anything over on them, but as folks who are just committed to doing what you told us to do because we trust you and you, we, we love you and you've told us this is our priority. So make us more generous. Make us more generous with our time, with our resources. Help us also to receive from people who want to offer things to us and make us good neighbors that make your name great so that people might know who you are and what you've done for them. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.